And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. Welcome to Sandy Creek Stirrings. My name is Joshua Jimenez. I'm your host, the host of Sandy Creek Stirrings, this podcast. And so I'm so excited that you chose to join us today here on one of our first few episodes of 2021. And 2020 has passed. It's gone. It sounds like I'm announcing the death of a loved one, uh, but it's gone. 2021 is here to stay. And uh, have you written the date correctly yet? To me, that's one of the most difficult parts of a new year. You know, you've been writing the other date for 365 days. They say it takes about 30 days to make a habit, and you just made that habit about 10 times over. And uh, just incredible. And uh, no, like more like 12, obviously, and uh, 12 months. And uh, But, you know, you get that habit of writing down 2020. It's so hard to change it. And so, but 2021 is here to stay, not going away until... 2022. And so I'm sure you did not know that. And you're just, wow, look at that. I did not know. And so, but anyway, looking forward to another great episode today. Of course, Thursday, a Baptist history episode. And I am pumped up. I am pumped up to about today. I'm excited to me. This is the most exciting portion of Baptist history because we're going to talk about somebody and their ministry today who has had the biggest impact. And when I studied Baptist history, um, this person that we're going to talk about today really just changed, drastically changed my outlook on who I am as a Baptist and our history as a Baptist. And so really had a big impact on me. And I'm excited to be able to go into his story. Now, I know it's been a couple weeks since we've actually done Baptist history. We did a few different things for the New Year's and uh, for Christmas, and so um, we're getting back to Baptist history. So just as a very brief review, of course, you can go back and get you know listen to the entire episode again uh, from the Baptist history before. But basically, last week we talked about the Great Awakening and George Whitfield, and then we talked about how. There were two men who were greatly impacted by George Whitfield, really through his preaching. They got saved under his preaching. We talked about Isaac Backus last time, and um, of course Isaac Backus went on to to start a church and became a Baptist. We talked about how his mother had been imprisoned, and he um, last time we left him in Middleborough, Massachusetts, where they changed their separate church to a Baptist church, and so we left Isaac Backus there as one of those men that got saved under the preaching of Whitfield. And then we said we were going to talk about a second man, but we never got to him. And so I've made you wait like two weeks to be able to hear who that other man is. So in 1745, Whitfield was preaching loud and clear the gospel message when one man, a Bostoner, realized his need for a Savior and accepted Christ into his heart. From there, he went to Stonington, Connecticut, and was baptized. God began to work on his heart, and he would be the man who, in my opinion, would have the greatest impact on America for the cause of Christ and the Baptist heritage. And so we're going to talk about him today. I'm excited about today's episode. Before we actually talk about him, though, I I want to bring in the need for the gospel in the South during this time period. Uh, we're moving into the 1750s, and uh, we've been closely following the events that happened in New England and the colonies, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Plymouth Rock. But now our focus is going to, in this portion, it's going to change to the South. 
And amen. Don't y'all love the South? I mean, listen here, y'all. There ain't nothing better than a glass of sweet tea, a southern fried steak, a country fried steak. I mean, mashed potatoes and gravy, corn, a biscuit. Y'all know what I mean? I mean, there's just something about the South. You Now, you get a biscuit and you bake it with butter on it and butter in it. And then when you get it out of the when you get it out of the oven, you cut it in half and you put more butter on it. And uh, so you get on that plate, you get you know some country fried steak and some mashed potatoes and some gravy, some corn, a biscuit. You know you got to add in some collard greens or some mustard greens in there, and we're set. And I tell you what, I love the South. I was born in Mississippi, and so that to me that's like the true South. When you go into like Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana, um, those areas in there to me are the true South. When you go into Florida, you kind of have the South in North Florida. Um, South Florida is what I call the Yankee South um, because Yankee South, um, down in South Florida, they have all these snowbirds. And um, really, it's just kind of, you know, it's up north, just down south. And so, but when you get up to where I'm at, in North Florida, we're very southern around here. We say y'all, we say ain't, uh, we make good biscuits, and so love the South. And so during this time period, though, within the South, all right, when we go back to the 1750s, during this time period, some began to migrate away from the known colonies of New England. They began to migrate away from Massachusetts and, and Boston and, and Connecticut and Rhode Island. They began moving because there's a whole nation to go out there and see. And so they began to move out of these, you know, known colonies and into colonies where there weren't a lot of people. And what you'll find is there weren't a lot of churches either. Uh, they were spiritually dark areas. There weren't many many witnesses. And so summing up the efforts of the Baptists in the South up to the year of 1755, you'll find within history there were four Baptist churches in South Carolina. There were six Baptist churches in Virginia. There were three true Baptist churches in North Carolina, and then there were no Baptist churches in Georgia. And um, I say there were three true Baptist churches in North Carolina because a lot of these, um, some of these Baptist churches that were there had turned into Calvinistic Baptist churches. And uh, so I say three true Baptist churches, but there were no Baptist churches in Georgia. As you know now, Georgia is like filled with Baptist churches, still need good churches. And still need church planters in Georgia, but uh, Georgia has a, a fair amount, at least definitely more than zero Baptist churches now. I can name a bunch of great Baptist churches in Georgia that I would go to if I was in Georgia. And so, but really, when I, I want to focus in and center down in one state, and that's the state of North Carolina, it was incredibly spiritually dark. It was a spiritual wilderness. I mean, even George Whitfield knew this, and before he died, George Whitfield began to pray that God would said someone, a John the Baptist-type figure, to go and preach the gospel in North Carolina. Little did he know that the man who would be the John the Baptist— or the Apostle Paul, as one author referred to him as, of North Carolina, would be one of George Whitfield's own converts. Now, last week we talked about, not last week, but a couple weeks ago, we talked about George Whitfield. Do we agree with everything that he taught and believed? No, I don't. But he did give the plan of salvation as God dictated in the Word of God, and people got saved. And what you'll find a lot of those people began to do is they began to study the Word of God and become Baptist. And so... Who was that man who was listening that day, a Bostoner, ended up getting saved? Well, it was a man by the name of Shubal Stearns. If you've been following the podcast, 
for um, since the beginning in our first episode, we talked about Shubal Stearns. And so you're going to know a little bit of information about him, but I want to give you a lot more um, because he's he's a great figure, my favorite he- figure within Baptist history. If you ask me, just looking at the facts of him, he was the most influential figure in Baptist history. And so we'll We'll build on that as we go. But Shubal Stearns was born in Boston in January 28th of 1706. In 1745, of course, he was 39 years old. He heard the gospel preached by George Whitfield, got saved, and he was raised in a... Uh, I, I don't want to use the term Christian because people throw around the term Christian, Christian. Um, he was raised in a, a religious home. Let's use that term. Um, but he realized at age 39 that he needed a Savior. So he, his wife, um, his parents, one of his sisters, they all uh, heard the gospel, got saved. They went to Connecticut to be baptized by immersion as Baptist in 1751. And so later that same year, though, Shubal Stearns felt the call to preach. God, my friend, is calling, has called men to preach. He's still calling men today. I believe that every young man should pray about going into full-time ministry. God is still calling people to preach, and God called Shubal Stearns to preach. And so, oh, the things, my goodness, that God would do with this man. Now, Shubal Stearns' wife was named Sarah, and we don't know a lot about her in history. There's not a whole lot written about her, but she would serve God faithfully. Here's what we know. She would serve God faithfully right alongside her husband. Now, she and Shubal Stearns experienced the sadness of being unable to have children. But God knew, as we'll go through their story, God knew the children they would produce together through the gospel message and by serving God. And so off they went. They went to go serve God. They went to Opecton, Virginia. And there, Shubal Stearns, his brother-in-law, Daniel Marshall, joined him, and they would become really what many would refer to as Paul and Barnabas of the United States, of the South. And so I brought into that conversation Shubal Stearns' brother-in-law, Daniel Marshall. Let me give you a few facts about him. Daniel Marshall um, had a religious testimony as well. He was born, raised, and sprinkled at the same time in the same city at the same church as Jonathan Edwards. In fact, they were the same age. And so Daniel Marshall served as a deacon in his congregational church for 20 years when he finally got saved at age 38. Can you imagine serving as a deacon for 20 years and then finally getting saved at 38 years old? And in fact, it was during the same preaching of Whitfield as Stearns that Daniel Marshall got saved. And so he immediately began to preach in his congregational church and began to preach what he was seeing in the Bible, which were Baptist doctrines, and they kicked him out. I mean, he'd been a deacon there for 20 years, and they kicked him out. And so what you'll find is his first wife died, and he married Shubal Stearns' sister, thus becoming, of course, Shubal Stearns' brother-in-law. In 1750, he and Shubal Stearns' sister, his wife, they traveled to Pennsylvania. All right, Daniel Marshall and his wife traveled to Pennsylvania and began preaching to the Mohawk Indians as missionaries. But there was a problem. The French and Indian War broke out, caused them to flee. They had to leave the Mohawk villages. So from there, they, they felt led of God to go to Opecton, Virginia, and join Shubal Stearns in the ministry that he was doing there. 
So both of them are there in Opecton, Virginia. Remember, during this time, there was only about six Baptist churches in Virginia at this time period. And Daniel Marshall and Shubal Stern, Stearns and Marshall, as we're going to call them, um, began to just preach. And things were going great. Revival broke out. I mean, it was just incredible, the growth they were seeing, the salvations. People were—I mean, exciting things were happening. And then Stearns received a Macedonia call from some friends in North Carolina. Now— Hopefully you know what the Macedonia call is. Of course, Paul, um, when the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow him to go into a certain area, um, he had a vision, and there was a man of Macedonia calling to him and asking to come. They needed help. They needed the gospel. And so Paul ended up going to Macedonia, and great things happened there. Stearns didn't receive a vision, but he received a letter for some, from some friends in North Carolina which was basically a Macedonia call. They sent him a letter telling him of their efforts to try and win the lost in North Carolina. They said this, The work of God was great in preaching to an ignorant people who had little or no preaching for hundreds of miles and no established meeting. But now people were so eager to hear that they would come 40 miles each way when they could have the opportunity to hear a sermon. That's what this letter said of friends in North Carolina. They said, we need help. There, there's, there's, it's a spiritual wilderness out here. There's no established meeting pace. People are willing to come 40 miles each way to have the opportunity to hear a sermon. And you say, well, that's not a big deal. No, 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 my friend. Go back to the 1750s. There were no cars. There were no airplanes. There was nothing like that. You, the, basically, the fastest mode of transportation was horseback. And a horse travels about 20 miles a day. That means it took them two days to go hear somebody preach. But they were so eager, the people, they were so eager to hear the Word of God and to hear the preaching that they would be willing to travel two days on horseback. That's not counting the people who would walk. That's not counting the families who would take a wagon who were slower. But they would travel because they wanted to hear the Word of God. There was a big a, a field ripe into harvest in North Carolina. And so this letter just burned in the heart of Stearns. Isaac Backus, he would later write this of Stearns, quote, his soul was red with zeal to carry light into these dark parts, end quote. And we've talked about Isaac Backus a little bit. We, he's still there in Middleborough, Massachusetts as a pastor of a Baptist church. But coming back to Stearns and Marshall, in 1755, Stearns, Marshall, and 16 others from Opecton left to go plant a church in North Carolina. So they traveled through, they came to a place known as, and it might sound a little familiar, they came to a place known as Sandy Creek. And there they planted an independent Baptist church on November 22nd of 1755. They planted the Sandy Creek Baptist Church. Now, that name sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yes, because the name of the podcast is Sandy Creek Stirrings, that we would have a stirring like they had there at Sandy Creek. And so you're really going to see the vision behind the name of the podcast really come together as we continue to talk about what they did, planning that church November 22nd, 1755, the Sandy Creek Baptist Church. Now, Stearns was the pastor. Marshall was the assistant to the pastor. Stearns had no formal degree, uh, but he was a brilliant man in organizational skills, leadership, planning, hard work, preaching. In fact, his, his dynamic preaching was well documented. I quote from a few different authors, quote, His voice was musical 
and strong, which he managed in such a manner as to make soft impressions on the heart and fetch tears in the eyes in a mechanical way and anon to shake the very nerves. His character was indisputably good, both as a man, a Christian, and a preacher. Another author said this, quote, being often deeply affected themselves while preaching, correspondent affections were felt by their pious hearers and were frequently expressed by tears, trembling, shouts, and acclamations. It was, by the way, Ezekiel in the Bible who spoke of preaching to strike the thigh, to stamp the foot, and to lift up your voice like a trumpet. And Stearns was that. So Marshall and Stearns, they began to preach in towns and fields anywhere they could. They dumped the robes and the powdered wigs of the high church. They cut their hair short. They preached with fervency and a loud voice. Their prayers were urgent. It was there, the same year of planting the church, that a homesteader, all right, a homesteader was trying to carve out a living in the backwoods, and he traveled to hear this preacher in the woods. I mean, Stearns was making a big noise, not just like how loud he was preaching, but people all around were talking about this man by the name of Shubal Stearns. And so this homesteader, he decided he wanted to go hear this backwoods preacher. His name was Titans Lane. Titans Lane. He would end up being one of the first converts in North Carolina of Shubal Stearns. When he arrived at the place where Shubal Stearns was preaching that day, the preaching so convicted his heart that he got saved. From there, God began adding to the church at Sandy Creek daily. Men began to surrender to preach. God was moving mightily. The church was multiplying. Great things were happening. In 1757, Stearns was preaching, and, and two brothers by the name of William and Joseph Murphy got saved. They both surrendered to preach and began preaching. They went to Virginia with Daniel Marshall, went on a preaching expedition, and another preacher boy, and they began to preach at a meeting. And a historian records this, quote, As the people were collecting, Colonel Harris rode up, splendidly attired in his military habit. What is to be done here, gentlemen, said Harris. Preaching, Colonel. Who is to preach? The Murphy boys are, sir. I believe I'll stop and hear them then. He dismounted. The house was small, and in one corner stood a loom behind which the colonel was seated himself. Once, as the people rose from prayer, the colonel was observed to continue on his knees with his head and his hands hanging down the other side of the bench. Some of the people went to his relief. He smiled and broke out in joy, crying, Glory, glory, glory. Colonel Samuel Harris got saved through the preaching of Daniel Marshall and the Murphy boys. And so immediately, Colonel Samuel Harris began to preach the gospel. God began to work through him. And in fact, a historian by the name of Semple says that his preaching, the preaching of Colonel Harris, surpassed even that of George Whitfield. And he'd go on to have a great ministry in Virginia. All this because of a man, really two men, Marshall and Stearns, who I believe are the most impactful men in Baptist history, all because they followed God, did as God wanted them to do, went to North Carolina, uh, got the call, and began planting and preaching and winning souls. And now, so now you got Titans Lane is saved, you got the Murphy brothers are saved, you got Colonel Harris is saved, and plenty others that I haven't even told you about. Now, what they began to do from here is they began to plant churches. And we're going to get a little technical with some numbers here for a minute, but we'll get over it quick enough, okay? In early 1756, Okay, they planted the church in 1755, late November. Okay, In early 1756, Daniel Marshall began to travel down, and he organized a church at Abbott's Creek. Now, what I do when I have Baptist history, when I teach it to 
a church is I have a map and I have all these little churches popping up on the map. And I'll have in view, I'll have Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and South Carolina. And so what I'll do is I'll have these churches popping up. I wish I could show that to you, but of course we're in a podcast format and so I can't. But if you want to look that up, you can look up Abbott's Creek. And so he planted a church in Abbott's Creek. From there, he went and he planted a church in Grassy Creek. Now, here's what I want you to focus on as we go through this. Don't focus on the location so much, but focus on just how many churches are being planted. When he planted that church at at Grassy Creek, a young man by the name of James Reed got saved, and he became the pastor of Grassy Creek when Marshall moved on. Now, this became the method for Stearns and Marshall to plant churches out of the Sandy Creek Baptist Church. They would send one of their preachers from Sandy Creek to an area where some had been saved. They would start a church. They would hold down the pulpit until one of their own surrendered to preach and took the pulpit. And then they would move on and start another church and just repeat the cycle. And so God was moving from Sandy Creek. Stearns and Marshall traveled everywhere they could preaching the gospel in North Carolina. Within 17 years, 17 years, my friend, this was the result of Sandy Creek, church, Sandy Creek Baptist Church and the preaching of Stearns and Marshall. I want to give you just a list real quick, okay? Number one, you had the planning of Sandy Creek Baptist Church in 1755 by Shubal Stearns, um, predominantly. Then, next, you had the planting of Abbott's Creek Baptist Church. I'm just going to give the name of all these. These are all Baptist churches that they're planning, okay? And that was in 1756 by Daniel Marshall. Then you had Grassy Creek was planted in 1756. James Reed became the pastor. I know we're given a lot of names. I'll give you some of their testimonies as we go along. You had the New River Baptist Church planted in 1758 by Ezekiel Hunter. Now, Ezekiel Hunter got saved. We don't have a lot of information about him at all. The only thing that we know is that he preached through Duplin, Sampson, New Hanover, Catteret, and Onslow County. In fact, it's recorded that the entire county of Onslow became Baptist through the preaching of Ezekiel Hunter. Sounds like a fiery man, doesn't it? be incredible to hear him preach. Uh, in 1759... You had the planting of Little River Baptist Church. Remember the Murphy Brothers? That church was planted by Joseph Murphy. Within three years, his church in Little River was running 500 people. And within 10 years, that church, okay, which was a church plant of Sandy Creek, Little River would start four churches of its own in 10 years. They started Little River, another one in Little River. They started Rocky River. They started Jones Creek and Mountain Creek. Um, all these people must have really liked creeks and rivers because it seems like that's where they're starting all of them. And um, number six, you had Dan River. Yes, another river. was started in 1759 by Dutton Lane. And that church was started in Virginia. Now, in 1758, Dutton Lane, he was Tidens Lane brother. Remember, he was the homesteader who got saved and went to hear Shubal Stearns, the backwood preacher, for one of the first converts of Shubal Stearns. That's his brother, Dutton Lane, got saved. He began preaching. And in fact, he was, remember how we mentioned another preacher boy was with Marshall and the Murphy boys when Colonel Harris got saved? Well, Dutton Lane was that other preacher boy. Um, You have another church, Black River Church, started in 1760 by a preacher boy by the name of John Newton. I'm not going to give all of their testimonies. Some I may just give their names. So uh, there was another preacher boy, John Newton, who was a preacher boy of Sandy Creek Stirrings. You've got a church started in Fair Forest by 1760. It was started by Philip Mulkey. 
That was a church in South Carolina, planted out of the Sandy Creek Baptist Church. You've got a church started in Trent in 1761 by James McDaniel, Southwest in 1762 by Charles Markland. you got the Haw River Baptist Church, which was started in 1764 by L. Nathan Davis. Now, he's got an interesting testimony. He got saved when he went with some of his companions to really just make a mockery and laugh at some baptisms they were holding at the river. When they arrived, though, Shubal Stern started preaching to the crowd that had gathered on the banks, and Elnathan Davis came under conviction. He got saved, was baptized, and within seven years, he planted that Haw River Church in, in 1764. Within seven years, his church had planted five more churches, all out of planted out of Haw River, which was planted out of Sandy Creek Baptist Church. They started five, one in Deep River, one in Rocky River, one in Tick Creek, one in Collins Mountain, one in Caraway Creek. Not like literally in the creek, but in the town. Twelve, you had Congaree Baptist Church, started in 1765 by Joseph Rees in South Carolina. You had Stephen Creek's Baptist Church, started in 1766 by Daniel Marshall. Um, can you tell these guys are just going all over the place planting churches? Um, in Virginia, you had the Upper Spotsylvania Baptist Church, started in 1767 by Lewis Craig. And uh, now, Lewis Craig... He was saved under the preaching of Samuel Harris, along with his brothers Elijah and Joseph. The way it happened was Harris was preaching in Culpeper when an angry crowd of Episcopalians came with whips and told him, you shall not preach here. And so, But they were a rough bunch of guys. With a Virginia colonel to lead them, the Baptist responded, to, oh, but, but we shall. And so a riot ensued. After the fight, the resilient group went to the house of a man by the name of Elijah Craig. He was the father of his three boys, Elijah, Lewis, and Joseph. And so there the Episcopalians followed. They had another fight, but this time the Baptists sent them running. Harris finished the day preaching and saw those three Craig boys come to Christ in preaching. And uh, pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, Shubal Stearns impacted Marshall, Marshall impacted Craig, Craig impacted, and we just keep going down. This was what they were seeing out of Sandy Creek. Joseph Murray planted another church in 1768. William Murphy planted another church in 1768. You have the Lower Spotsylvania uh, Baptist Church started in Virginia in 1769 by John Waller. Now, he's got a great testimony, too. He had been saved in 1767. Lewis Craig, remember we just mentioned him, Lewis Craig had been arrested for not following the religious laws of Virginia. Remember, there were still laws that prohibited Baptists from preaching their faith and practicing their faith during this time. And so he was arrested. He stood up for his faith in court. And one of the men on the jury was known as Swearing John Waller. He was a notorious guy. He was a sinner. He was a mocker. He was a gambler. He was a very just profane person. And so he even labeled, or he even led a group of men that labeled themselves as the, de the devil's adjutant, which means the devil's senior officers. And so, but in his heart that day, as he listened to Lewis Craig in court defend his faith, as he was sitting on the jury, he felt conviction through the, through the testimony of Lewis Craig. He got saved. Later, he would go down, and he um, got baptized by James Reed in Grassy Creek, and he began to go around and plant churches in Virginia. John Waller did. Um, Samuel Harris went and planted churches. Elijah Craig went and planted churches. William Weber, Nathan Powell, James Turner, Ezekiel Hunter. I mean, all these guys were planting churches. If you were to continue the list, and I'm not going to, but if you were to continue the list, you'll find 40 
two Baptist churches were started out of the Sandy Creek Baptist Church and other plants of Sandy Creek. Not counting the innumerable amount of preacher boys. I mean, we've mentioned James Turner, Ezekiel Hunter, Nathan Powell, uh, William Weber, Elijah Craig, Lewis Craig, Samuel Harris, the Murphy boys. We mentioned, um, uh, you, you name it, we mentioned a whole bunch of people, didn't we? And we probably lost you at some point in there. But 42 churches in just that 17-year time period out of Sandy Creek Baptist Church. God was doing something amazing, amazing, through the planting and the prospering of Sandy Creek Baptist Church. You can tell by the story, they were stirred up. They were reaching other people. They were planting churches. They were giving the gospel. It was incredible what was happening at Sandy Creek Baptist Church, and they are not done. They are not done in the slightest. In fact, if you go up to Virginia, Colonel Harris and James Reed, they were preaching revival meetings and planting churches. At one meeting alone, they saw 75 people saved and baptized. At the next, they saw 200 people saved and baptized. Hundreds, literally hundreds, were coming to the meetings of Colonel Harris and James Reed, preacher boys of Shubel Stearns and the Sandy Creek Baptist Church. People would travel 100 miles on horseback just to hear them preach. It was incredible what was going on. Absolutely incredible. But the fight was still happening. We've been talking this whole time about the freedom of religion and how it wasn't a true thing yet. Um, Lewis Craig was imprisoned again. Remember swearing John Waller he had led to the Lord uh, through his testimony? Not only was he arrested, but this time around, John Waller was arrested as well in Virginia to try and squash the, the Baptist efforts. They said they were disturbing the peace. And what they did is they tried to embarrass them. They handcuffed them and marched them through the streets in chains, but it didn't help. Craig and Waller began to sing hymns, and a crowd began to gather, wondering, what is going on? Then all of a sudden, Lewis Craig's little brother, Joseph, showed up and started preaching to the crowds that were gathering, follow along the wagon. I mean, revival broke out, and you got the two preachers in chains. The persecution, though, that the Baptist preachers would face in Virginia um, would keep a very famous lawyer busy defending their Baptist rights. And um, I will tell you who that lawyer is next week. And I know you're excited. He is a very prominent historical figure. You have heard his name before. You have heard a famous phrase that he said. And uh, he, that when the Virginia government just cracked down on the Baptists, as you can see in the story of Lewis Craig and, and John Waller, and they would imprison Colonel Harris. I mean, it, they just cracked down on the Baptists. And that attorney, that lawyer, a famous, famous patriot from that time period, would stand up for them, and he just traveled around and around defending these Baptist preachers. And so I'll tell you his name next week. We'll keep you on hold again one more week. And so just an exciting thing, just seeing what they were doing based off of the stirring that Shubal Stearns had with Daniel Marshall, just the stirring they had to do something for the cause of Christ and what it produced. And it's so exciting to see their testimony, see the planning of their churches, see the people they reached, all because they had a stirring to do something great for the cause of Christ. You and I, my friend, can do and see the same if we only determine to be stirred up for Christ. And that's the truth. You and I need a stirring. We need a stirring. What we really need is a Sandy Creek stirring, just to see the movement and the churches planted and the people reached like they saw in Sandy Creek back then. And so an exciting story. We'll talk about that attorney next week. And uh, he said, I'll give you this. He said, 
give me liberty or give me death. And that's what he's famous for saying. And um, you'll probably look it up and know who it is by the time we get to next week. But he would be busy. I want to give you a story that's actually recorded of him defending the Craig brothers in court. And it's a great story to read. And so I'll give that to you next week. But until then, hey, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ. <laughs>